And we will look at chapter 2 together this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. turning there, let me give you just a little bit of background. We know that the Apostle Paul founded the church at Thessalonica, and he did it in less than three weeks. He showed up, he began to preach the gospel, and not unlike other places that he preached, there was a riot. They ran him out of town. Gospel preaching often causes a riot. It did in Paul's day, it still does in ours. One of the purposes of Paul's letter was to encourage and to affirm this relatively young church at Thessalonica that he'd not had as much time to spend with as he would have chosen. Another was to just simply remind them of uh, what he had taught them. You know, in addition to encouraging and affirming them, he wanted to recapitulate what he had taught them. And as we read through the totality of the book of 1 Thessalonians, we see that he wrote to them in order to confirm the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ to give them instruction concerning the local church, its purpose, its necessity, its sufficiency, its mission, its structure, the responsibilities of the leaders, and the responsibilities of the members. As I read through 1 Thessalonians several times this week, it struck me that they were a relatively new church, and so is Midtown Baptist Church. I see some parallels. They were composed of men and women that had been saved by God's grace from the world and the idol worship that the world is saturated with. The people to whom Paul wrote at Thessalonica were chosen by the eternal God to be the people of Jesus Christ. Members of Midtown Baptist Church here profess the same thing with regard to our salvation. Paul wrote to them and told them that Christ had redeemed them at the cross. We profess that too. Paul told them that the Lord had gifted them with under-shepherds, pastors in other words, elders, to feed, guide, nurture, and protect them. And he had given them his spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, to produce in them faith and hope and love. Strong parallels between the uh, church at Thessalonica and the church at Midtown Baptist, isn't there? Let's look at the text together and we'll pray. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2, Almighty God says through the Apostle Paul, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we'd already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, 
like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last." But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that has uh, inspired the Apostle to write these words and for preserving it for us under this very day. Lord, we ask that you would indeed bless the preaching of your word, the glory of Christ and the good of his people, and to the, uh, the, uh, uh, as the preaching of the gospel is done this morning, Father, may it have its effect on ears of fallen men and women today. May the uh, glory of God and the power of God be unloosed in order that they might pass from spiritual death unto spiritual life as they're evangelized by the power of the Word and the power of the Spirit. Father, we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I looked over the second chapter of Thessalonians. There are a lot of ways to approach this text. There are a lot of different sermons that could be preached. There are a lot of different styles that could be employed. What I'd like to do this morning is talk about expectations from several different perspectives. I want to talk about four specific groups of people and the expectations that can be drawn from this chapter and the totality of Paul's letter. Number one, I want to talk to you about what natural people, lost men and women, what natural people must expect. Number two, I'd like to speak to you for just a few minutes this morning about what the elect people of God could never have expected. Third, I want to talk to you about what regenerate church members should expect from their pastoral leaders. And then fourth and finally, I want to talk to you about what is to be reasonably expected from followers of Christ. Let's look. Question number one, expectation number one, this is what natural people must expect. 
based on how Paul began this letter to the Thessalonians, he said that they had turned to God from the idols that they worshipped. That's true and genuine repentance, turning to God from idols. They were lost and they were on their way to perdition. What natural people must expect is this. Judgment without mercy from an eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, holy, just, righteous God. Natural people must expect judgment under the wrath of God. That is what this book teaches from the first page to the last. From the maps, from the index to the maps, all the way to bonded leather, judgment of a righteous and holy God on men and women that continue in the same condition until they die that they came into this world in, fallen in sin. The wages of sin is death. Men and women in their natural condition must expect condemnation to everlasting damnation and eternal hell from a righteous and holy, just God whom they have offended. They come into this world in a fallen condition. Each and every one of us have received a sin nature from our father who got it from his daddy all the way back to Adam who rebelled against God in the garden. There is not a single one of us is not as affected by it. We come into this world not spiritually sick. We come into this world spiritually dead, separated from Almighty God. Paul told the Corinthians that the natural man, the lost man, cannot understand the things of a holy God. We're rebels. We're opposed to God. We're opposed to the Word of God. We're opposed to the people of God. Each and every one of us, no exception. We are corrupted by sin. Every part of us, our mind, our will, our emotion, we're corrupted by sin. Totally, entirely, utterly, thoroughly, fundamentally corrupted by sin without exception. We are sinful, we are corrupt, we are perverse, we are deviant, we are rebellious, we are immoral, we are unrighteous, we are impure, we are selfish and we are shameless. We are the enemies of God. And more important than that, this book tells us that God is the enemy of natural men and women. I take no joy in telling you any of that. But on the authority of the Word of God, that's what lost men and women must expect if they leave this world in the condition that they came into it. Number two, what the elect people of God could never have expected. What the people chosen by God before the foundation of the world in our humanity could never have expected is this. Deliverance from the wrath of God. Deliverance from the holy and righteous punishment of our sins. We could never have expected that Almighty God, in the person of Jesus Christ our Lord, would lay aside the glory of His Godhead and be made flesh in order to live a holy and perfect and sinless life as a man to substitute himself on the cross in the place of his people, to be made sin for us, to experience the full and total and complete wrath and justice and punishment of Almighty God for our sins. That he would dismiss his spirit from his body and experience physical death. That he would be laid in a borrowed tomb and lay there for parts of three days. And then, 
on the morning of the third day, after midnight and before sunrise, the Lord Jesus Christ would take his own life back up. He would breathe, his heart would beat, his eyes would blink, he would stand and neatly fold his grave clothes, and then walk out of the tomb alive forevermore. Seen by upwards of 500 of his disciples in the intervening days, and then approximately 40 days later, they watched as the Lord Jesus Christ ascended into the clouds of God's glory. Where he ever lives now, at the right hand of Almighty God, to make intercession for me and you, my brother and sister in Christ, and from where he's coming again soon to judge the living and the dead, we could have never expected that. As I read through the text this morning, I hope that you listen to the words that Paul used to describe themselves and the, the words that Paul used to describe the leaders that they left in place there at the church at Thessalonica. The words that Paul used to describe the members of the church there at Thessalonica. Because I'm going to tell you about some of those. He said this, he said that uh, in other places in the, the whole tenor of Scripture tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ did not live in vain. He did not come to this earth and live here and die in vain. He came here for this purpose, to save His people from their sins. And I declare to you on the authority of the Word of God this morning that Jesus Christ is that victorious Savior at the cross. He did indeed save His people from their sins. He suffered there under the hands of the Romans that had conspired with the Jews to put Him to death on that cross. But more important than that, He suffered there under the wrath of Almighty God, and He satisfied the wrath of Almighty God against the people of Almighty God. He was shamefully treated by those that should have worshipped Him, but He boldly declared the truth of God with no error. There was no impurity in Him. There was no deception in Him. He was approved of by the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ was trusted by the Father. He did not come to this earth to please men. He did not come to this earth to glorify Himself. He came to this earth to glorify His Father and save His people. Now for all of that, the Creator of everything that there is, Jesus Christ our Lord, was gentle. He was gentle. He did not come to be served. He came to serve. He labored and he toiled and he preached the truth of God. He is holy. He is righteous. He is blameless. The chosen people of God could have never expected that God would come and that he would die for our sins. He would be made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. For those whom have experienced God's grace, we have been regenerated. We have been given a new nature in addition to the old nature that we were born with. But item number three I want to talk to you about for just a minute is this, is what regenerate church members should expect from their pastoral leaders. What regenerate church members should expect from their pastoral leaders. But before I do, I want to preface it by saying this. Pastoral leaders, this is what church members should reasonably expect from us. First Thessalonians chapter 2 is a very convicting passage for anyone that claims to be gifted to preach or teach the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. One old preacher summarized it this way. Listen closely. He said, Every man, every man who preaches the gospel should carefully read this chapter and examine himself by it. Most preachers, on reading it conscientiously, will either give up their place to others or purpose to do the work of the Lord more fervently for the future. I don't know if that's old English, but it's got some big words in it. What Mr. Clark was saying was this. is men who claim to be called and gifted to preach and teach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, when they read carefully 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, they will either lay it down and give it up and run from it because it's so overwhelming and they totally realize that they are insufficient for the task, or they will fall before a holy God and ask Him to give them the power to do what only he can do, and that is to lead his people and preach the gospel of Christ. So what is it that regenerate church members should expect from their pastoral leaders? Well, a lot more than we have time to talk about this morning, but this is a good uh, scratch on the surface. They should expect God-called shepherds. Not mama-called shepherds. God called shepherds. Men who are not men pleasers. Shepherds who fear God more than they fear men. Shepherds who understand that they will give an account to Almighty God in the person of Jesus Christ for what they have done with the flock that He has entrusted to their care. Expect that. Whether you're a member at Midtown Baptist Church, whether you're a member at another church, whether you're looking for a church, demand that there be God-called and God-equipped shepherds to feed you, to lead you, to guide you, and to protect you. Church members should expect bold shepherds, men that boldly and clearly and consistently and without apology, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. A clear declaration of Jesus Christ, of the necessity of Jesus Christ, and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, and condemn those things that detract from Jesus Christ, those religions that substitute works for the grace of God in Jesus Christ, boldly and clearly declare the truth and condemn the lies, even in the midst of much conflict. You should expect mature shepherds, mature shepherds, men who have an understanding of the Scriptures, who teach the Scriptures accurately and make the correct application of the Scriptures. You have a reason to expect men that are motivated by godly desires and are not self-promoters. My brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a reasonable expectation that you have of those that have pastoral authority over you. You have a reasonable expectation of humble shepherds. 
Humility should characterize them. You have a reason to expect men who labor for the glory of God. Labor. Don't miss that word. Labor. Not just desire, but labor for the glory of God. Men who labor for the good of Christ's people. Men who lift up Christ, not themselves. My brothers and sisters in Christ, you have a reasonable expectation for gentle shepherds, not heavy handed shepherds, not dictatorial shepherds, but gentle shepherds. Shepherds who are caring, shepherds who love their people. Shepherds who invest their lives into the lives of their people. Shepherds who truly care and are concerned for your soul and your well-being. You have a reasonable expectation for praying shepherds. Men who regularly and consistently call your names before Jesus Christ our Lord who are aware of what's going on in your lives who lift you up often in prayer to the Lord Jesus and pray with you as well you have reason to have an expectation for honorable shepherds not perfect shepherds not shepherds without blemish there's one perfect shepherd who is without blemish, and he is Jesus Christ. The rest are under shepherds. Not perfection, not without blemish, not even without stain, but honorable men whom God has set apart under the task of shepherding his people. As the people of God, we have a reasonable expectation that the shepherds that are in positions of pastoral authority are righteous men. They struggle and they strive to do the right thing in accordance with God's word. And they're blameless men. That word really means what it says, that they're blameless men. It doesn't mean that they're men without blame. It doesn't mean that they are perfect. But it means men who even an accusation cannot be brought against. Men whose lives are truly set apart to the service of God and his people whose sins are confessed, and in whose life there is no spot for blame. No accusation can be brought against them. You have every reason to expect that. You have every reason to demand that of your shepherds. Lastly, with regard to reasonable expectations of your shepherds, it's reasonable to expect them to be encouragers and exhorters and admonishers. If your shepherds care about you, they'll exhort you. From here, from out there, at the coffee shop, in the living room, wherever the case may be. You have every reason to expect shepherds that will reassure you in times of difficulty of who Jesus Christ is and what he accomplished and his love and his care for you. You have every reason to expect shepherds that will admonish you when admonishment is called for. Men that have a little bit of steel in their spine that can look you in the eye 
and say, this is wrong. Let me show you what it says in God's Word. Let's sit down and look at this together and let's pray about it. Men who will encourage you in the difficult times, in the good times, encourage you to live godly lives. Those are reasonable expectations. Just some of the reasonable expectations that church members have of their shepherds. Well, fourth and finally, what can be reasonably expected of the followers of Christ? To put a finer point on it, what can reasonably be expected by Midtown Baptist Church of its individual members, each and every one? Well, again, there's a lot that can be said, and there's only so much time, so let's dive right in. Number one, it's reasonable for our church to expect its members to be thankful to the Lord Jesus Christ for saving their wicked soul and delivering them from damnation. It's reasonable to expect that the followers of Christ will love Christ and love the Word of Christ and desire to be with His people. It is reasonable to expect that the people of God desire to be more like Christ and to glorify Him. It is reasonable to expect that in the life of a believer in and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it is evident that their life and their lifestyle is not conformed to this world system in which we live. That they are indeed fighting impurity and striving for holiness. Now notice, I didn't say that it's evident that they will be pure and that they will be holy, did I? Make no mistake. The purity and the holiness that we have is given to us by Almighty God through His grace, through the blood of Jesus Christ. He has left us on this earth to accomplish the task and the purpose that He has set for us. In addition to all of that, there's a process that the Bible speaks of that's called sanctification. And that simply means that God is conforming us more and more to the image of Jesus Christ every day that He leaves us here on this earth. The thing that should, should characterize the lives of believers is this, is that we are struggling... We are struggling as we fight impurity and striving for holiness in our lives. That's not 2% of us. That's not 4% of us. It's reasonable to expect that in the life of every member of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've experienced the grace of God, His Spirit lives within you. He's given you His Spirit, and He's working that in us, that out in us. It's reasonable to expect that. It's reasonable to expect in the life of a believer that the Spirit of God is at work in us. And as Trey taught us from from, uh, the first chapter of Thessalonians last week, that the Spirit of God is producing the work of your faith in you. That even the works that we do, the very best prayers, the very best sermons, the, the very best giving or tithing, and the best work that we do, whatever it is, when we deliver that meal, when we go and pray with a brother, when we do it as selflessly as we possibly can, We don't get credit for that good work, my brother. That's Almighty God's Spirit working through us. It is reasonable to expect that God's Spirit is providing works of faith in each and every one of our lives. 
It's also reasonable to expect that we can observe the labor of love in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That simply means this. We can see an increasing love, an abounding love in the life of a believer for his or her brothers and sisters in Christ. Does that characterize us? Yeah. Yeah. God is at work producing love in our hearts for people that we might not otherwise even associate with from a different part of the world, from a different social background. Look different, sound different, talk different. The Holy Spirit of God is overcoming that in all of our lives, producing love, increasing and abounding love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's reasonable to expect steadfast hope in the followers of Jesus Christ. What does that look like? Comforting one another, encouraging one another, and building one another up. Notice, comforting, encouraging, and building up. Comforting, encouraging, building up. Not discomforting, not discouraging, not tearing down. Thank God that what characterizes us here is a steadfast hope, the confident hope of the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I see it over and over and over. Brothers and sisters in good times and in not so good times providing comfort and encouragement and building one another up. And I thank God for it. It's reasonable to expect that the people of God will proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world, wherever they are and whatever's going on in their lives, at work, at school, at the store, at the stoplight. It's reasonable to expect that the people of God will love one another and pray for one another. It's reasonable to expect that the people of God will not forsake the assembling of themselves together. Those are reasonable expectations. It's reasonable to expect the people of God to stand fast in the Lord Jesus, even in the midst of conflict. It's reasonable to expect the people of the Lord Jesus to rejoice, to rejoice, to be full of joy, even in times of much affliction. And then, finally, it is reasonable, based on the scriptures of Almighty God, to expect followers of Jesus Christ to lead quiet lives, serious lives, sober lives, to mind their own business, to work hard. Those are reasonable expectations that we can have regarding the followers of Jesus Christ. So as I close, let me ask you this. Are you still in your natural condition? Does the wrath of God abide upon you? All you have to expect, if that's the case, is the wrath of God, the judgment of God, and everlasting, age upon age, eternal hell. My friend, have you rejoiced at what you could have never expected 
as the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, has revealed Jesus Christ to you, that He bore your sin upon the cross, that He has experienced the hell and the wrath and the damnation that we so richly deserved, that He substituted Himself in our place. I pray that you have. If you have not, if you're still in your natural condition this morning, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Church leaders, we talked for just a few minutes about what our church members can reasonably expect for us. Is any of that convicting to you? Is any of that blessing to you? It's convicting to me and it's blessing to me. And what about all of the followers of Christ that are in this room this morning? We talked about the things that can be reasonably expected of us, each and every one. Those things characterize your life. If they do, then praise God. I suspect that in each and every one of our lives, there's some shortcomings there. Let us go to the Lord. Let us repent of those shortcomings and ask for a double portion of His Spirit to fill us, to empower us, and give us opportunity to serve. May the Lord Jesus Christ be glorified and may His people be encouraged. Will you pray with me, please?